0: morning family of god beautiful winter morning and a merry christmas to all of you and thank you all for coming all the guests you're very welcome deal with these electronics. Um, Yes, thank you for the singing. It's a beautiful morning. We're happy to be here. It's, It's Monday, the day after Christmas, but what better way to spend our time to come together with the people of God and be encouraged with the Word and each other. I think it's a good thing. The Hutrijus and It's good. In in exchange or in comparison to just doing our own thing Monday morning and back get back to the grind. It's good to come together, especially with so many guests here. It's a tradition we do not want to let go, and perhaps we should add another day. That's a discussion for something else uh, somewhere else. But uh, before we go on, let's pause our heads and minds and meditate on a great gift that is before us every day. Especially when we think of the great gift of Jesus, Jesus giving His His sonship and His humanhood to us. Lord, we. Thank you for all these things. We thank you for the assembling of ourselves together this morning. We pray, Father, for open hearts and minds. Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds. We pray, Father, that you would that we be teachable. Lord, that we would put all, aside all any all and any ideas that we might have, and to be open to your word. Lord, we pray for your presence. Father, we pray. For those not here with us that are sick, Father, we pray for thy hand upon them for healing. And Father, to know that everything that happens to us happens for a reason and that you are in control if we are in you. And we trust that we are. And Father, we pray that we might be worthy and faithful servants. And to be obedient to your word, to be obedient to the still small voice, the Holy Spirit, trying to speak to us. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Title today is The Fate of Mary and Joseph. Now, you could say and preach a a message on The uh, the fate of Noah, the fate of Adam, the fate of Abraham, the fate of David, the fate of, of all these patriarchs before us that walked faithfully. But since it's Christmas, I want to hone in and talk about the fate of Mary and Joseph. And not only to do that, but to bring ourselves and our humanhood in the same picture, because we are men as Mary and Joseph were. They had nothing special. They were faithful as we need to be. Um, We will start our scripture from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I'd like you to open up your word, the Bible, before us. And it's not going to be a lot of reading. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of, the Lord by the prophet saying, in verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, God with us. God with us. Then Jesus, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not, Till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. It will stop there. And he called his name Jesus. The heart of this message. This morning. Is my desire to relate to you. this dear ones. That Mary and Joseph. The two entrusted to bear and raise Jesus. Were mere men. just like you and I. Therefore, the many questions, the many concerns, anxieties, and feelings they had are exactly like ours. On this end, I want to share this morning. And on this end, we need to read the word of God in its entirety, that people are the same everywhere. I want to start with a little background. What commitment is an espousal in these biblical days? And largely, it's still to this day in the Jewish culture. In Bible times, Jewish marriage customs regarding a couple's engagement were far different and much more stringent than those we are familiar with today. Especially we as um not raised up in a Jewish culture. We come from a strong culture, but not in that way. Especially those of us here in the West. Marriages were almost always arranged by the parents of the bride and groom, and often without even consulting the couple to be married. Clicking with each other and having premarital feelings for each other was not a consideration. Culture was everything, and cultured upbringing Parental reputation had a lot of weight and, most of all, compatible fate was of paramount importance. What the young people looked like, how much they weighed, what their social media status was, was not much of a consideration. A contract was prepared in which the groom's parents paid a bride's price such a contract was immediately deemed binding with the couple considered married, even though the actual ceremony and consummation of the marriage would not occur for as long as a, as a months or years afterwards in many cases. The time between was sort of testing of fidelity with the couple having little, if any, contact with each other. There was no looking around and finding a different spouse. These decisions were largely done and over with, before the young people reached adulthood. That was the culture, and it worked. It worked, and it still works in that culture. In fact, it works better than the West, which ends up over 50% in Christendom in divorce. Uh, that That was a figure I heard over a decade ago. We have no record of how Mary was chosen for Joseph. We have no record of how Mary was chosen for Joseph or the events surrounding their courtship and engagement or their espousal. We can only assume that these events would be synonymous with the common Jewish customs of the times and still are very similar to this day. Joseph's father, um, the best way to say it is Eli. It's spelled H-E-L-I but it's pronounced similar to Eli, was a devout Jewish man, and Joseph followed in his footsteps of his father, very devout. His very intentions and aspirations were to be faithful to the law in every respect. Eli would find a godly and upright woman for his son Joseph. Mary was not only an exceptional young lady, but she came from good, a good cultured family like themselves. So an agreement was made early on and the time came for their marriage ceremony. Even though their espousal commitment or engagement was as binding as marriage, we can only imagine how Joseph looked forward to the physical marriage that would finally make them one. Thus far, they had not had any kind of physical relationship. I think we can all imagine that, and and these events surrounding normal, human, young people. Joseph soon became aware of Mary's pregnancy. And this, no doubt, cause was cause for deep concern on his part. The Bible says here in Matthew 119, Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to a public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was a good man. He cared for Mary. He was starting to get feelings for her. And why make a public Scandal out of her. No, he was just planning to quietly put her away. He did not believe in spontaneous pregnancies. Something had to happen. Jewish custom allowed that they be considered as husband and wife, though the marriage had not yet been consummated. The point is being made that Joseph and Mary had experienced no marital contact with each other, as verse 18 suggests, before they came together that points out clearly that. So Joseph was in quite a dilemma. Jewish law provided that his betrothed because of her unfaithfulness could be placed before the elders for public judgment and even stoning to death. But he was thinking to just put her away quietly without any public knowledge. Betrothals or marriage engagements in these ancient times were binding and could only be terminated by an official divorce decree. Now let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed would marry his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. We so commonly speak about Jesus coming as God, that we forget how earth-shaking this idea was, and how it was to the people first hearing it. Can we imagine that? In Matthew one twenty three, Behold a virgin shall be with child, and she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. God with us here, here in this room. Isn't this amazing? man writes Thus we have the Father and the Son, not two, however, but one God, for the Son is not without the Father, nor the Father without the Son, they are not two but one, the Son in the Father and the Father in the Son. That's in John fourteen, verse fifteen through twenty four. Trifo the Jew was recorded by Justin Martyr in the mid second century, accused Christians of being influenced by Greek or Roman religion. You ought to feel ashamed When you make assertions similar to theirs and rather should say that this Jesus was born man of men. It is generally assumed that Justin Martyr created this dialogue and Trifle was a fictional character. But some of the objections voiced by Trifle likely represent legitimate early Jewish attacks against Christianity. Trifle further argued that you endeavor to prove an incredible and well-nigh impossible thing. That is that, that God endured to be born and become man. how many of us have pondered that in our hearts that god came as man and dwelt among us that we could become like that he could become like us in all things so that he could help us this is awesome and uncomprehending but i believe it we have the word but we have the word we grew up with it. We were taught from a very early age of this great miracle of God with us. We were slowly acclimated to that. And even though we cannot comprehend it, we were still nonetheless, we were brought up with that understanding. And it's easier for us to understand it, even though it's not easy to really comprehend it. And we should. We should try to meditate on that. It is a great miracle. Joseph and Mary did not have this foreknowledge like we did growing up, they did not have the Word of God. They were the living Word of God. And this is not to undermine the great miracle of the Holy Spirit coming upon us and living inside of us now. Christ was living amongst us, God with us, Emmanuel, and now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, teaching us and helping us in all things. Let's stop and meditate with humanly vulnerable perspective with all the information we just read. Think about the feelings that went through Mary and Joseph as vulnerable humans like us. Stop and think of Joseph's situation where you betrothed, beloved, gets pregnant. Whose child is it? Your first gut instinct is unfaithfulness. Your life is in a wreck. Your reputation is on the line. Brethren, stop and meditate on how much faith Joseph had. He was a mere man with human concerns. These things had never happened to anyone before. Why should they happen to him? Was Mary lying to him? Was she sleeping around with other men? Was she going to be a trustworthy wife and helpmate? The dream erased all doubts that Joseph had about Mary and her pregnancy. God erases all doubts in our life if we seek him out in sincerity and fear of God. God knew about his turmoil as he does with ours. For this reason, it was then that the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream in verse 20, and 20 through 25 and exclaimed to him, explained to him what all this was bringing about with the fulfillment of prophecy of, that a virgin would bear a child who was to be the Savior in Isaiah 7, Isaiah seven fourteen, And he, Joseph, did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no marital union with her until she gave birth to a son. Only thus could it be called the virgin birth. And he gave him the name Jesus, Luke 2, 1-7. Also confirms the idea that Joseph and Mary, though betrothed, were considered as husband and wife by Jewish custom, even though the actual marriage ceremony had not been fully effectuated. So Joseph and Mary were legally married before the birth of Jesus, though their marriage was not consummated physically until after his birth. Like we already mentioned, this could have easily gotten her stoned if you reported to the Jews. Did this the making and potential of a great scandal? Unless you are a scholar of isaiah's prophecy, who would believe it? this was never this had never happened before. Who was actually waiting for a Messiah coming as a baby? The Jews of this day, even the learned ones, were waiting for an army of God to come in pomp and majesty. They were not waiting for a baby. It all makes sense if you, if you read it now, but in them days the Jews were waiting for somebody to come in majesty. It took great faith for Joseph to not only accept Mary carrying a child that wasn't part of their marriage, but to constantly hear the whispers of friends, relatives, and colleagues around his spouse-wife's pregnancy. It must have been humbling because Joseph was a righteous man and would not have had marital union before the wedding feast or appointed time. Nevertheless, we can imagine a lot of people around the family would I believe this was Joseph's son and the pregnancy had been sin and an accident. And Joseph knew many looked at him in different ways. It took great faith to quietly look, and look on and say nothing. What about Mary? What was going through her head? She couldn't hide it very much that she was with child. And to think the son of God in her, how was this possible? I don't know how, Mary, how old Mary was, but she was very young. She was a mature adult, yes, but she was young. And emotionally, she had not reached the stage where an older woman would have been. But to, to think and meditate on that, Mary did not fully understand the capacity and weight of what had been entrusted with her, but nonetheless, she just pondered on it and believed in what the angel of God had told her from the beginning. She simply believed God. She was just being herself. That's who she was. In, ver- in Luke two nineteen, and also in, in chapter 2, verse 51, she pondered these things in her heart Twice it reads that. She pondered these things in her heart. She didn't fully understand what was happening. Just like us, we don't see the big picture most of the time. It requires faith. This kind of faith does not see the end goal. Faith is a decision to go forward because you see one step in front of you. And you see that darkly. But as you walk, you get assurances that you are going the right way. Mary received many assurances along the way. The angel, a confirmation of Elizabeth, her espoused husband's vision, the acceptance of her divine pregnancy, also the shepherd revelations and her son in a temple teaching the learned ones. And God is faithful. He gives us these assurances along the way, just like he did Mary with the angel, with the confirmation of Elizabeth. In, with John's pregnancy. That meant the world to Mary at her at that time, where she could she just ponder these things in her heart. She did not fully understand them. But here comes the angel confirming it a little bit. And here comes Elizabeth, a person that she greatly loved, to also confirm this thing which was born in her. God is faithful. He is faithful to us. He does not want us to blindly keep on blindly believing. But as we believe, he gives us a little assurances step by step by step. That is awesome. I'm sure we can all relate to that when we just went ahead with something because we believed in our heart it was the right thing to do. And as we did it, as we stepped in faith, the Lord gave us little assurances. Somebody had this yesterday on their status. I really liked how it was worded. It read like this. Mary was highly favored, but she was rejected by every person in Bethlehem. She was highly favored, but she laid on the dirt floor of a barn and gave birth to a baby she cared for nine months. She was highly favored, but in the middle of the night, she had to leave all she knew and move to a strange town because God said so. Favor never looks like favor at first. Favor sometimes takes you through frustration, failure, and fear. You want to be favored of God? All of us would like to think so. It may be the darkest night or the deepest valley you have ever gone through. But there in that place where no one sees you and you feel like no one understands, there's a whisper to yourself. You whisper to yourself. This is only the beginning, not the end. This will turn out for my good and his glory. This is because I am, fa- I am favored by God. Amen. Faith requires us to not listen to past experience or what people say around you. Because in this case, no God had ever come down to mere humans to be born as a baby. Faith is not faith if we have prior experience in a situation. That is wisdom. Faith requires us to trust in certain outcome because we trust in something more than we ourselves can do or understand. Faith does not move around with every wind or doctrine or hearsay. It is a steady rock sitting in patience while others fly by with every gust of wind. Faith kept them sane while they delivered a child in a place where donkeys, horses, and sheep slept and also went to the bathroom. Fate must have made them ponder on the words of the prophet Isaiah and believed this was now fulfilled. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. They embraced that word of the old prophet. They believed that this was them here fulfilled. That's quite something. Faith is not supernatural eyesight. Yes, it is a gift from God in its raw form. Faith is belief in spite of being clothed in human vulnerability. God never requires total blind faith, but is faithful in providing little nuggets of handholds and little jets of crevices to step onto. He is a light unto our feet. And that's what I mean with blind. There is one step you can take, It's not closing your eyes and walking. It is looking with the understanding God gave you here and now and making just one step. That's not blind. That is one step in faith. And when you make that next step, it's often like forgiving someone. We know we have to forgive. We don't know how we can, but we know we have to. So we do that. We choose to forgive. We make that step of choosing to forgive, and the Lord does the rest. He provides the next step. He provides a smidgen of love for that person because we have made that first step. The Lord gives the increase. Atheists believe Christians have no evidence of creation, but blindly hang on to the assumptions that a dead God made everything. But on the contrary, we Christians behold the magnificence of his creation and the awesomeness of his evidence all around us. Who else could have made it? It is a great evidence of his presence and handiwork. Of this we have faith while beholding his evidence. Even though a man believes in God, he remains an unbeliever until he acts out on his or her belief. We are no better than atheists if we don't act out on what we believe in. We will not convince anyone of our fate if we fail to be obedient to the word of God. There is a story about an atheist that changed his mind. On the 15th of May, 1950, a group of students from Oxford University gathered for their weekly debate between atheists and Christians. Huddled inside the junior common room at St. Hilda's College, the meeting was chaired by C.S. Lewis. A young British philosophy student named Anthony Flew presented a case for atheism. His speech was titled Theology and Falsification. It doesn't sound very exciting, but it became the most widely published philosophical paper of the 20th century, and Anthony Flew went on to become one of the leading atheist thinkers of the 20th century. It has been said that within the last 100 years, no mainstream philosopher has developed a kind of systematic, comprehensive, Original and influential exposition of atheism that is to be found, in, but in Anthony's Flu's 50 years of writing. But in 2004, Flu dropped a bombshell. He declared that he had changed his mind. He had not had a Damascus Road conversion experience, he did not become a Christian, he had, he had not had a personal encounter with God. He simply believed that the evidence from science and philosophy had now pointed to an existence of a God. I have followed the argument, where it has, and this is where it has led me, he said. And it has led me to accept the existence of a self-existent, immutable, immaterial, omnipotent, and omniscient being. Hopefully before his dying breath he saw also a plan of salvation. But I don't know if he did or not, but he changed his mind and he believed in a God. The more we see his evidence, the stronger our faith becomes. And the more faith we have, the more evidence we see and our faith is further increased. It never ends. It's an ongoing cycle from faith to faith. In Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Mary and Joseph were accustomed to faith. God had prepared their lives to be vassals he needed to fulfill his plan for mankind. Still, they were humans with a will, and they had to be obedient to his voice, just like we need to be to fulfill the plan for our lives. Faith realizes God always fulfills his promises, even if sometimes it does not happen in the way we might expect it or the time that we would find inconvenient. God is faithful, but he is not a puppet on the string or a customer service representative, given the authority and or the responsibility of always making the customer happy right away. He can, but it's not his way. True faith does not give false expectations about God, what God has promised to do. He has not promised perfect health, a perfect family, and the wealth in this age. But for this, we must continue to look forward to the return of Christ and the new heavens and a new earth. Yes, he is faithful. He will do above and beyond what we think and believe, and especially if we believe that he will. And live in such a way that we believe. In closing I want to read Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16. Ephesians three sixteen, That he will grant you according to the riches of his glory. To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That he being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth which pass knowledge, that you might be filled with all fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. In closing, brethren, as we consider the faith of Joseph, Mary, and also the great cloud of witnesses that's speaking about in Hebrews 11, and many, many others throughout the centuries, of witnesses that have walked before us, that have walked faithfully with the light that has been given to them. I want to close with this challenge in your hearts. God needs modern Joseph and Mary's to fulfill his will here on earth. Will he find us faithful and highly favored in deed and truth to fulfill his will in our lives? Amen.